You're listening to One Non-Blonde, the podcast that goes beyond the surface and digs deeper for the truth around us. I'm your host, Kim. Join me for this weekly podcast where my amazing guests sit down and talk about what's going on in their mind. You might be surprised and always be entertained. Welcome back to One Non-Blonde. I'm your host, Kim, and today I have a very special guest. Uh, His name is Neil Perry Gordon, and he is an accomplished author and uh, just an amazing man um, in general. And I am so happy because uh, him and I have uh, started a little partnership here. And thank you for being a sponsor today. So Neil Perry Gordon is sponsoring the show. So welcome, Neil. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's good to see you. So I am, in fact, I have to admit to my audience that I was, um, I lost track of time and Neil had to call me and say, are we still on? I'm like, (laughs) I'm at the end of the book. I've got less than what, 50 pages, I think, 45 pages left to this book, um, The Bomb Squad. And I didn't want to get ripped away from the pages. So um, welcome and tell us all about what you're doing and how, what inspires you? Well, writing inspires me. I'm sort of uh, been a writing machine for the past, you know, four years now. Um, I got kicked off um, to write my first book, A Cobbler's Tale, and um, that was it. I mean, I've been hooked ever since. So I have four published novels. The Bomb Squad is the is the newest one. Um, I will have another one coming up in June called Hope City. And I just finished the first draft manuscript of another novel, which will, time I get that gets published will probably be, I'm guessing, around August or September. And that's uh, that's so uh, it's a little far off at this point. That's good. Now, what I know that you know the writing inspires you, but I, I know that you do historical. Uh, so you are you a history buff? Or you is that your background? How did you decide that history was going to be where you were going to put your fiction? Because um, I like reading historical fiction. I like, that's my genre that when I'm looking for a book, that's my first go-to genre is historical fiction. Because I like to feel like when I'm reading something, um, I'm learning something at the same time. Um, and I like to learn history. So, you know, that, that, that's it's a good way to, of digesting history in an entertaining way. You know, so uh, rather than just reading a, a textbook about it. So I, I like reading it, so that's why I like writing about it as well. And I also like it because, you know, when you write in a certain time period, you know, um, um, Bomb Squad is uh, early 1900s. Um, you know, you put yourself in that era, you try to think of what things were like. You have to, you have to make references to th- how things were back then. What kind of cars did they drive? What, what was the value of a dollar as compared to a value of a dollar today? If they're going to buy a, a pretzel on the street corner, how much would they pay for it? Mm-hmm. So you got to sort of figure those things out. Are they going to pay a nickel? They're going to pay a quarter. Um, you know, uh, if they, what kind of suit they're going to wear? What kind of hats would they wear? Women's clothing. Um, you know, all those little background things you have to sort of like also research and check out. So that's also part of the fun of writing historical fiction. And, and and where do you like when you're when you're thinking of a character? Where do you get that? Like, do you start? Is the character there first, and then you kind of like start in their nuances, or how do you like? 
math Rothschild, for example, uh, Rothman, Rothman, I'm sorry, not Rothschild, Rothman in the book, his max is kind of like, as he's evolving within the book, I could see, you could just see layers coming off of him and, and get to know him more. So right. how does that happen? Well, I, 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 I like to have competent men in my book <laughs> as my, as my protagonist, as my hero. Um, yeah, as, if you read more of my books, you will see all my main characters, my leading characters are men. And so I was, I was talking to someone else about that and like, I actually got a review from somebody and it was from a woman and she said it was, she gave me a glowing review. She said, the only thing I would complain about was there was the women were not prominent enough. I'm like, okay, but I'm a man. I write from a man's point of view. Um, and, uh, and I do have a woman editor who helps me bring out the feminine qualities that, that I uh, would be lacking. Um, so I, I, I strive for that. And especially in the relationships, trying to build the relationships up. Um, that's usually a, an area where I have to work on. And she knows that about me. You know, when you start working with an editor, you know, you, you give the editor the manuscript and my editor then will, the one will read it and then make comments about it and the more developmental comments and saying, okay, you, know, you need to develop this a little bit more or this relationship is not strong enough or this is not believable um, or maybe this is not in the right order. So, you know, it's sort of like re helping uh, polish it up um, sort of. And that's, that's you know, invaluable um, because, you know, you, you just write it and then things that she comes back and you go, oh yeah, it's so obvious, you know, that's what you have to do, but I haven't seen it. You know, mm -hmm. I, have, I would have seen it going in I would have fixed it. So yeah. So um, so I write about that. Though my newest manuscript that I'm writing now is going to a place where I wasn't sure that I wanted to go there. It's it's much darker. It's much um, uh, for from the woman's point of view. I have a, a major woman, female character, in it, and she goes through torturous um, conflict and and horrible conditions in this book. So I had to sit to it, you know, as a writer, I want to, I was a little bit concerned about going there, but then I decided I wanted to expand myself and I ended up doing it. Um, I, now I'm just going to go back and revise it a couple of times before I give it to my editor. I think it's important, like you said, to stretch yourself. Like, but I think like, for example, the, the, the bomb squad, it's, it is primarily going to be a male dominated type of storyline because of the, the, the background you know it's it's the you know the backdrop of the war war one the you know the spies you know the, the people who were in these positions weren't going to be a woman you're not going to see a woman detective you're not going to see a you know so much the female doctors being in charge of ellis island so i mean it was that's what i liked about it, it was really believable because i think if you would have thrown in a a lead into a position that was not believable i don't think it would it would have bode as well to me as a fictional yeah. piece yeah, you know, believability is, is a lot. You, you have, I was listening to uh, Neil Gaiman, um, famous writer, and he was talking about one of the, the most important things of being a writer is be a, uh, being a fiction writer is to, is to write the truth. Um, and what does that mean, to write the truth? So I think what it means is, you know, write something that someone's going to believe in what you're having to say. Um, you know, today we have so many things that happen in our life. We, we always have that comment like, you know, you, you couldn't make that stuff up. Mm -hmm. um, so, but in, but in fiction, you don't get that, 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 you know, that play, you know, you don't get that, um, 
someone giving you that um, leeway of, of, of something of, you know, you can't make that up by doing something that's so far out of, out of, uh, of a realm of possibility, unless you're writing fantasy or something or, you know, science fiction. So you, you have to be able to um, write the truth. You know, Hemingway talked about that too, by, by being honest with your uh, readers. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's always a quest. Um, in my new book that's coming out, Hope City, it takes place in Alaska in 1898 during the uh, gold rush. And a, one character I have in there is the famous writer, Jack London. Mm. Uh, Call of the Wild. Call, Call of the Wild. Um, but, and, I, and I did research about him. And my book begins with the Jack London credo, which is um, amazing. Um, and he talks about that on, on how to, you know, of life and you know and be honest with your writing and, and such so um his his whole um his whole being his his whole philosophy about life is sort of what drives that book in a way i like my daughter my my daughter is an avid reader in fact i was talking to her earlier i said you've got to read this book and so she's in college and she's also working full-time but she says i'll, I'll get i want to get to this book because i was telling her all about it and, um, but one of the things that, you know, when you mentioned Jack, um, London's Call of the Wild, that was her first book that she read that brought her to liking to read. In yeah. fact, that was like my husband, I'll never forget, my, she was 11 years old, sixth grade, and she was just, she, you could not get this child to sit down to read. And so my husband started, they would sit down and every night they would read a couple, you know, he would read a page, she'd read a page. And it, so they read this together and she would, she got to the point where I was like halfway through the book. She's like, dad, can we read tonight? Can we read, can we, can we read longer? And, you know, and uh, so that is what sparked her desire to read and to like get her imagination flowing through a book. So that's really cool. Okay, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to get your daughter. I'm going to give her an advanced reader copy of my book. Oh, awesome. Hope City. And then, because it's good to have advanced readers who can give me reviews. So then when, the, when, when I get up on Amazon, there's already reviews on there. So I'm going to give her an advanced reader copy. If that's, if that's um, as you say, Jack London was so important to her, I think she'll connect with the story. Oh, I definitely think so too. In fact, her book report she had to write was called Chili Dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah jack london was a he was a great man i mean he had some he he went up to the klondike himself he um the client my story doesn't place in the klondike the klondike is up in canada mm -hmm. um, and that was around the same time 1896 97 98 um they went to this place in canada called boston city and um that's where the major gold rush was that's where everybody went my story takes place in, a, um, in another part in part of alaska called hope which was a much smaller gold rush at the time but back then during the summer there was about three thousand people in that area and that time in 1898 that was the most populous city in all of alaska um, for that short period of time but jack london went to uh went to alaska he lost a couple of teeth to scurvy um he ended up getting a limp in his leg and uh, then he comes back and he talks about it saying that it was he wouldn't regardless of what happened to him you know him and his i think went with his cousin he would never not he was so happy that he did it he doesn't regret one thing about it so he was a real adventurer and a great writer um and believed going out and, and getting things done so my book begins when jack lunn is giving the commencement address 
to the Mission High School students in San Francisco before my two characters head up there to Alaska for the summer. Oh, that's awesome. So now I have a question for you. Was, you write historical fiction. Is there any, like, and, but you, like you've gone from World War One, you know, the, before the Americans were into the war, and now you're up in the gold rush. Is there like any particular, we're, I mean, with all the history behind us, what in, motivates you to write in that specific, you know, you like, do you like all of a sudden go, I want to learn about that? Or how do you get motivation to start a book and, you know, that timepiece? Well, each one was different. When I began with Cobbler's Tale, I decided to write about my great-grandparents' story. Um, and that took place in 1910 when my great-grandfather left Eastern Europe and left his pregnant wife and three children, one of which was my grandfather, back there. And he came to America, came to New York, came to the Lower East Side as a cobbler uh, to establish his business. And then he would go back in a year to get them and bring them back. But he ended up delaying his return year after year after year. And then World War I broke out and he couldn't get them. So they were stuck there. My book uh, sort of, it, I make my great-grandfather much more um, adventurous than, mm -hmm. and more, much more brave than he really was. Um, and I add a lot more drama to, to, my, uh, to, to their lives, but that's basically what the story's about. So that started me uh, in that genre and in that, in that era of early 1900s. My next book, Moonflower, actually takes place in the 1670s. Ooh, also deal. in New York, but it was called New Amsterdam. That's when the Dutch controlled it. And this book, right around that time, 1670, 75, is when the English started taking over and, and basically just came in and took the, the city from the Dutch and called it New York. Um, and Albany, New York, would, uh, back then was called Beverwick. So this is a story of a, another teenage boy, 17-year-old teenage boy that goes on this quest for the great, to connect with the great spirit. And the book begins with him uh, sitting with a shaman and the shaman uh, is gonna have him go on this quest, but to go on this quest, he has to consume this concoction that's made from the seeds of the moonflower, which is a flower that only blooms at night. And when you drink this concoction, you lose your, you lose your memory up to that point. Everything you know is gone. It's, you have a blank slate. And it's a way of renewing yourself. It's like a rebirth. So what the shaman says to him, before you're about to drink this, I want you to, he gives him parchment and a quill, write everything down you can remember about your life. Your earliest memory to your latest memory, because this will be the document that you carry forth after you drink this liquid, after this, you drink this moonflower. Um, so he writes everything down he could possibly remember. Uh, and then on the, other, on the other side, when he wakes up, he has, this, he has all these pages, but they're just words on a page. There's no emotional connection to any of his memories anymore. So that's how the book begins. And he goes on this journey, this epic journey that takes him across all of Northeast New York, uh, America through New England. You know, he starts in New York and Vermont and New Hampshire, Massachusetts. Then he travels over to Amsterdam. And then the book brings him down to the, the, the slave coast of, of Africa, over to the slave market of Charlestown, and then back up to the New York area again. So that's, that's Moonflower. It's historical fiction, but it has a little metaphysical type of influence but this whole um his the evil character there uh is really visits him in a sort of like a dream state um so i always like to put a little bit of that, that in there while the bomb squad is, is straight historical fiction um there's no metaphysical um descriptions in there 
But The Righteous One, my third book, is based, it's all metaphysical fiction. And that book uh, is interesting. It's based on um, a lot of Kabbalic wisdom, uh, mysticism. And it's uh, the, the battle between good and evil takes place in the dream world. Uh, it, it sort of touches on the idea of the journey of the consciousness. When we, when we die and leave our body, does our consciousness live on? Can the consciousness die? Um, so that's the that's a metaphysical fiction. So I, I, I went right into that. In fact, Kirkus, which is one of the premier review um, companies um, in America, uh, called me today and they want to feature that book uh, in some promotions in, in the fall, uh, which was exciting. I, I, they gave me a review. I, th I thought it was a good review, but they told me it's one of the top reviews they gave. I was like, oh, really? I wasn't aware. Thank you. Um, go ahead. I was going to say, you, you do, I mean, you are, I guess it, this is, I've been very fortunate to get to read the first book and, and I know you said you're going to let me read some other ones too, but you have, like I was telling you earlier, you have a gift. I mean, people can write, but there's so many people who can transcend you into, I mean, I felt like I was there, you know, and that's something that is a gift and, and you do it in such a way that's very quick in the sense of not like, oh, it's a simple book. It's such fast pace and your mind is just like you're there and that you don't want to leave it. Like you're almost like in your own little world when you're reading your books, which I love. Thank you. I write short chapters. Which I like. <laughs> Everyone likes short chapters. I was like, when I first did Cobbler's Tale, people go, first of all, I love your short chapters. I go, oh, okay. So I write, my chapters are average, like four pages. Mm-hmm. Um, and I write in scenes. So each chapter is a scene. Um, and I usually change point of views from chapter to chapter. That's another style I have. So I'll either write in third person or I'll write in first person. Um, and if I'm writing in first person, I, I keep in first person. So uh, the, uh, the bomb squad is in third person, but you have from two different points of characters from two different points of view. Mm -hmm. You have Harold's, Dr. Harold Schwartz's point of view, and you have Dr. and Detective Max Rothman. Um, what also I liked about the, uh, the bomb squad, which was fun. I'm wondering your opinion about it was the, uh, the archetypes from Carl Jung and when he's trying to put together his bomb squad. I, I love that. Cause I, I studied a little bit of psychology and sociology in, in college too. So I was like, I am list, I'm watching this. And I, I thought it was really, yeah, brilliant to be able to bring in, you know, like you said, what was going on in that pop uh psychology at the time but that's how he ended up putting together this team and i thought that was really cool and then i wanted to say one of my favorite i wouldn't say favorite lines but one of the lines that kind of struck out at me was um i don't want to give too much away but when um harold and max are together and he said which kind of struck a chord we were talking because uh, you couldn't make this up in a novel <laughs> <laughs> the way that all their circumstances i was like no you yeah. couldn't <laughs> yeah yeah, so that was like I thought that was really a great play on words. Like when they're having this conversation, like, yeah, you couldn't make this stuff up. You know, an author <laughs> couldn't make this up. <laughs> I did, <laughs> <laughs> but it was really. I mean, like I said, I'm I'm towards the end, and I'm like, don't tell me the end. But I am like, yeah. it's it's really great. And you know, even when you're saying that you don't have a like a female perspective, I felt like the female characters in this book they were what I would think are true to that time frame, that time period on how they interacted with the men in their world. And, and like, especially like Maria, when how she, Maria, how she ended up having what happened to her 
um, that seems very believable. You know, Caitlin actually was a very strong character. If you think about it, she kind of was like in your face because she could have easily been, you know, thrown away. So I thought she was a pretty strong character in that sense too. Oh, good, good. Yeah, no, the women are strong in all my books, um, but they're not the main character. Um, mm -hmm. but, but my new book, my new manuscript, uh, there's, there's two characters. It's basically a love story um, in a horrible setting. Um, and, and one of the, uh, the female and male. I can give a hint about the story if you want to hear it. I would love to hear because I love I love knowing this because like I'm so happy because I get to be your friend now and so we get to <laughs> chat. I like I said I like to chat about books. So um, in in um, my first book, A Cobbler's Tale, and in, in my third book, The Righteous One, I, I I touch on this topic. There was a like a Jewish mafiosa group back in the late the mid 1920s to mid 1930s called the Zvi Magdal, Argentinian Jews, who would send agents to Poland, to shtetls, Jewish villages, poor Jewish villages, and recruit young Jewish girls uh, under the false pretenses of mar marrying rich Jewish Argentinian businessmen who are looking for wives. And they would, they would put advertisements in synagogues saying, um, come, you know, we're, we're interviewing for girls who want to come and marry Argentinian men, rich men, and live a wonderful life in Buenos Aires um, as, uh, you know, a life of a princess. And uh, a lot of families, like, fell for it. And so they signed up. Um, so my story begins with um, this young woman. Of course, she's gorgeous, beautiful luxurious red hair, um, stunning everyone's eyes turned to see her. And she falls in love with the university professor she meets. Uh, she's Jewish and he's not. And of course the father will not allow her daughter to marry you know, a non-Jew. Um, so um, they, they panic and they set her up to marry this Argentinian man who is uh, recruiting girls to be sex slaves in Buenos Aires. Uh, so he gets a hold of her and they, they, uh, they take her to Buenos Aires as a sex slave. And of course, my, her boyfriend, her, who she loves, has to come and rescue her. Um, so that's a little bit of the story of uh, what I'm calling, the name of that book is going to be White Slave. And in Buenos Aires, in that time, there were thousands of brothels. Um, it was legal. Prostitution was legal in that time. Uh, all run by Jewish men uh, with Jewish girls, and um, they were sex slaves. They couldn't, they couldn't escape. It was horrible. So I had to really go to a place I never went before in terms of writing about that. Um, so that, that's, that's, a little, that's challenging as a writer to try to, to expand yourself to things that are not so comfortable. I but I got through it. And uh, so now I'll have to keep working my draft a little bit, and, and then I'll go to the editor. Yeah, it sounds like a good book though, because like I think it, even though like Bomb Squad is based in the nineteen you know nineteen seventeen area, um, it seems still very relevant. Um, it kind of makes you think about you know like political parties now. You know, you're the right, right. You're the, to the right, to the left. There's like you know, where's the moderate? 
And I, 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 even though it's like, we're talking about German nationals, you know, her job, German Americans, but are they really, they're, they're still looking for the fatherland and, and, you know, where do you find your loyalties? You know, I'm American. Oh, even though you were born in Germany, but now you're American and I get to be loyal to my country. I really like that. Cause it, again, I'm a person who likes to pick apart something. I, well, my degree is in American studies. So for me, I'm always looking for the pop culture type of thing or the, you know, connection of the social, the social dynamics of America at the time something is written by an American author. So I see a lot of that, you know, there's kind of like the, the uh, inner makings of what's going on right now politically in your books. Did you kind of put that in there or my just exactly. <laughs> exactly because, you know, my subtitle is, uh, clash of the Patriots mm -hmm. and both men think they're right. You know, uh, both men believe in their cause. So, you know, you always have that saying, you know, you, you, you chose the wrong side of history. So mm -hmm. obviously Dr. Harold Schwartz chose the wrong side of history because the Germans lost uh, the war, but you have the, you have any German Patriot back that time thought he was doing the right thing, loyal to the fatherland, loyal for what he believed in patriotic to the, to the bone. And then you have the American who believes the same thing. So each man thinks they're doing the right thing. I mean, you know, you have Jews and Palestinians each thinking they're doing the right thing. And that's why these, these, these endless wars are endless mm -hmm. um, because no one ever wants to make compromise to, to, to find a middle ground. Um, yeah, but that's human nature. Um, so that's, yeah, I did put that into the book on purpose. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, like I said, I could just see the struggle. And I mean, anybody who reads this book can really relate to the struggle that's going on even today in, in, in our, in our society. So I, that's why I, I hats off to you. Cause like I said, as, as a person who loves to look into like the nuances of a book, you hit every, like, I guess I told you there are authors that I love to read and there's some that you kind of like, okay, they, chick, I, actually I was talking to Rick Sotabayer yesterday, who's a relationship coach. And he was talking about, you have your list of what you want in a relationship. Well, I, I, I realize I have a list of what I want in my authors <laughs> and you right. check off all the lists, you know, which is good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I, you know, I like that. I mean, it's, it's important to have like, you know, I, I always want to think when I'm reading and, but not to the point of like, you know, over like, like you said, like a textbook, it's, it's not that it's just you, you, and then you want to read more about what is going on. You know, because like, you know, you know, your general history of what happened during that time, but you want to kind of like delve in a little deeper. It's like, okay, where did he get that information? Where did he get that information? You know, so I, I really, you know, like the whole cigar bomb situation, because obviously I don't think I'm giving too much away because obviously it's called the bomb squad. You know? <laughs> so, you know, those were interesting, you know, things to learn yeah. about. Yeah. And all those facts actually did happen, The bomb, you know, the cigar bombs and the other things I bring in. So when I write historical fiction and I use an event, that event actually happened at that time. So if that didn't happen like until a year before or a year after, I wouldn't use it in my story. I only would use what is um, accurate to the moment of when I'm writing the story. Um, so that's sort of the guidelines I try to keep myself, you know, the guardrails I try to keep myself in between. Are all your characters, do you, you kind of like go with your... Um your background, your cultural background with all your characters? Or? Yeah, well, you know, they're all Jewish. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so yeah. They're all Jewish, yeah. I, I, um, yeah, everyone, all my characters are Jewish. You know, I write from, I don't know, I, I don't think I could write from someone else's perspective because um, this is what I know best, culturally. It's not, mm -hmm. not, not like I'm a religious Jew, 
but culturally I'm Jewish. So, uh, and being in New York, there's a culture there. Um, so it's not even just being a Jew, it's more of, I think, being a New Yorker mm-hmm. uh, more than anything else. Um, you know, everyone sort of like develops uh, the type of person they are by where they, the environment they, they grow up in. So that's me. Um, and, and I have several books that I'm still planning to write and also nothing is gonna drift away from that. Though in, in Hope City, I do write about Catholicism and that, and there's a big, one of my themes is the seven deadly sins. Uh, so I did have to do research and learn about that. Um, and I use that a lot in the book, but I do it from, uh, my main character is a Jewish boy from San Francisco who poses as a, a Catholic boy under a different name uh, when he gets there. And so he has to sort of learn what the Catholic religion is about. Um, so uh, that's, that's uh, how I, 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 I push myself to, to, to learn what the Catholicism part of, uh, of religion was that. That's, and I talk about that in um, Hope City a lot. Yeah, I think, no, I'm Catholic. And so for me, I know that we, we, we as Catholics, we, we pride ourselves, and I'm sure we're, you're going to kind of laugh. We pride ourselves that we're like, we're so rooted in the Jewish faith. And it's like, I think we are because we use a lot of the Old Testament, but it doesn't necessarily mean we're definitely know everything about it. Yeah, well, if you read a Kabbalah's tale, you'll, pick, you'll learn a lot about uh, things you probably didn't know about. Because back when that was, when, back in the, um, when people lived in shtetls in Eastern Europe, um, there were just, there weren't like different types of Jews like there are today. Mm-hmm. You have Hasidics and the Orthodox and conservative and liberal. You have, you have a, a spectrum of Jews from those who, are, who go to synagogue for the high holy days a couple times a year to those who are super religious. Um, back then, everyone was sort of the same thing. You had, but you did have different types. And in that book, I talk about the Torah scholars, which were the young men, young boys, who were the more intellectual and were able to um, learn and, 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 and advance from an intellectual point of view. And those were the ones who were honored. Those are the ones who were revered. Those are the ones who the, they, they wanted, to, if you married a Torah scholar, you, know, you, you had a home run. And then there was the, the craftspeople, the merchants, the, the, the cobblers and the, and the uh, butchers and the bakers. And if you were born into one of those families, you weren't gonna be a Torah scholar, you're gonna go into your father's business. Um, and what happened was, and not just from my book, but what happened was when all those people came from Eastern Europe to America, to New York and the Lower East Side, those who had work and those who had, were able to make a living were not the Torah scholars. <laughs> there were the merchants who had skills. You know, everyone needed a cobbler and everyone needed a baker and everyone ne- needed a, a butcher, but no one needed to learn anything from these Torah scholars. So they struggled when they got here. They had to learn a profession. So, you know, my main character, Pincus, who was the cobbler, he was disrespected at home, but here he was a big man. And that was why he didn't want to go home right away, because all of a sudden, from being disrespected, all of a sudden, he's respected. Um, and that was like a major thing for him, just from, a, from an ego point of view. And um, that's why he ended up delaying going home to get his family, and then the war broke out. Yeah, that I, I think that's interesting because, like you said, it's like um, it's almost kind of like here we go again today. You know, obviously the doctors and the first responders and the nurses are and the scientists for the, this, you know, COVID 
is important, but now we're revering the grocery workers, the people who are, you know, the construction workers, the people who are kind of like the backbone of what we're doing, they're getting a little bit more respect instead of just being like, oh, it's just, you know, it's them. So, yeah. You're right. Very interesting perspective. Yeah. I, I really like that because all of a sudden those who we looked down upon before, perhaps, and you work in the grocery store, now we revere them. Now we honor them. Now they're, they're the ones on the front lines. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, thank you so much for doing what you're doing. You know, it's funny. I, I, I see these people, these healthcare workers and everyone else from the front lines and the courage that they have to go in every day and, and you know, come home at night and have to go back the next morning. It's, it's amazing. And then I get up and I go to the grocery store and I'm like frightened. And I see everyone else is so frightened. It's like, where's my courage in all this? Um, you know, and then you just see people who are just like, okay, let's bring it on. A deadly virus and they're every day going in after that and, and trying to save people. It's, it's admirable. I know it's amazing, but I think as I, I like with your your reader, you know your books too. I think you know your 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 you know the uh, the main characters. They're 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 just going and they're doing what they need to do, not thinking of their safety necessarily. They're just thinking about what they need to do is right, and that's what I like about your books too. Right. Yeah, that's always something that to me it, it, it inspires me when people do things just to do the right thing, regardless of the consequences. Um, because sometimes the consequences are not good, but you do it because it's the right thing to do. And not a lot of people have that courage to do the right thing. And most people will do it. But those who do, you know, have to respect them and, and call them out on it. Well, I, you know, I think that uh, it's interesting to, you know, talk to you about, you know, how you're developing your characters. And, and I do like the fact that you, they, they do have, you know, like they're all Jewish because I personally, I've learned so much. Now I have to tell you, I've never, I'm not a fish eater and, and, and again, I'm not giving away things, but gefilte the fit. Is it gefilte the fit? So, <laughs> gefilte the fish. Yeah. And they're like, I don't, and so like, oh, it's not that great. And then when they ate the other fish from the sea, uh, I forget kind of fish that was from when they were by the Gibraltar in the Canary Islands. Yeah. And they're like, oh, this was so delicious. And they're like, this is not what we're usually eating. <laughs> So what is gefilte fish? Gefilte fish is what you usually eat at Passover. And it's carp. It's like a mixture of three fishes. It's like, it's like um, compressed. It's, it's, it's actually pretty good. Um, but it's not fish as we think. It's sort of like a mishmash of fish. Um, it comes in a can or, you know, in a jar. Um, and you, you eat it at Passover. That's usually the holiday you eat it at. Um, um, but yeah, it's funny. Yeah, so yeah, Jews are not known for eating fish. Fish. <laughs> That's why you know I, I put that in there. But yeah, um, of course, you know, in the Mediterranean, you get all sorts of wonderful fish. Yeah, I thought it was cute. It was like, you know, we don't usually eat fish, and then they're like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, is it gefilte fish? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I thought I felt like there was like a little bit of like that humor in there without being humorous in the sense of like, you know, I could see your lightheartedness in there that like, you know, you're, you're throwing a little bit of that, you're throwing that culture and, 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 and what's something that's familiar to you within your characters and there's, when they're having these conversations, which right. I liked. Yeah. And I read about Gibraltar, you know, have you ever been, have you been to Gibraltar? I have not, but I actually, um, through Facebook and, and just, uh, you doing podcasts, I actually have a, um, friend that is in Gibraltar that I interviewed him once before I'm going to interview him again and 
he loves Gibraltar. And I was I wanted to ask you a little bit about that too. Have you been? I've been, yeah. That's why I knew about the monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's a fun place to visit. You know, you go up the hill, it's a mountain you go up to the top of Gibraltar. It's a, the rock of Gibraltar, right? And that was the British still run it. They still control the Gibraltar. But you know, during World War One and World War Two, it was a key military outpost because it was at the mouth of the Mediterranean Sea. Um, now it's not uh, used for that anymore, but you can tour it. And there are monkeys there. And the monkeys are very amusing, but they do come and they could bite you. Um, and so you have to be careful. So uh, I, I put, that, put that in my book as, uh, as part of my story a little bit. Yeah. Now, are they the Capuchin monkeys or are they some kind of, kind of money, monkey? You know, you know, I don't remember the name. There's a, there's a, I, I think I, I don't remember if I write it in the book or not. But there's a, there's a certain type of monkey. They're not very, you know, they're, they're very, um, they're not big. They're small. Probably, you know, I think they might be like Capuchins. I'm gonna look that up because you know, because when I went to, um, I was in, in Honduras and the Capuchins would come and, oh my gosh, they they just come and like let us jump in your lap and all that stuff. That I bet you that's what it is. You're googling yeah. it. Yeah, I'm trying to Google it real quick. <laughs> I can't even do this. Yeah, so, I, so Gibraltar is, is funny. You know, when you go to Gibraltar, there is an airport. And the airport is right past customs. So as you go through customs, if the plane is coming in, you have to stop while the plane lands because the plane goes across the highway. And you have to wait for the plane to, to land and cross. And then they allow traffic to go back up, to go back again. So it creates tremendous traffic jams when a plane comes in. So the only road in and out also crisscrosses over a um, over the airplane runway, over the air the airport runway. Um, so that that's fun. And then you, it, all of a sudden you go from Spain and you're all of a sudden you're in England. You know, oh wow! Is, yeah, I, yeah, I want to go. I really want to go. So they are the Gibraltar. They're called the Gibraltar Barbary macaws. So they're they're kind of like the Capuchins, but they're a little different. So apparently they're very territorial. <laughs> That's what this just said. <laughs> yeah, they are definitely. <laughs> they want to steal things from you. Yeah, yeah. My daughter, my one, not the daughter that I was talking about before, but my other daughter. She, um, there's a uh, a primate sanctuary here in in Clearwater. And so there's like a, you know, you know. Well, have you have you watched the tiger? The was it the tiger, tiger king? king? No, I haven't. Okay. Well, anyways, so there's people who like to buy exotic animals and think that they're cute pets, and then obviously when they become more than just a little teeny thing, um, they have to get rid of them. So we have in, in Palm Harbor area, we have a primate sanctuary where a lot of these macaws uh, and uh, capuchins and orangutan and we've got bigger gorillas and they're all pretty much been confiscated from homes of people who thought that it would be okay to own an orangutan it was like a couple hundred pounds you know 300 pounds or 400 pounds so my daughter would do that as one of her uh service projects was because she was in medical she went and she helped feed them um in fact i was i was talking to your son max i'm like this is one of the ones that one of my daughters i'm sure he would love to talk to her she'd love to talk to him um because she was doing all this stuff with you know feeding them and taking care of them and trying to help nurture them back because some of them got diabetes because they weren't eating the proper foods and you know it's just you know interesting you know what people think they can do with animals crazy yeah, yeah belong there. nature that's one thing we learned about this virus i think is that you know this virus was caused by nature and it just reminds us we have to respect mother nature because if we don't 
the next time something like this happens, it could be climate change that causes it, and there won't be any immunization for climate change. There won't be any antiviral medication for climate change. So, you know, this needs to be a major wake-up call for us to respect the environment on, on top of everything else that we're trying to get through to, to survive this. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it shows you how important it is uh, that Mother Nature, uh, you know, no matter what you do, it uh, doesn't care what party you are, what religion you are, you know, where you're from, it affects everybody. Yeah, I, I, I know. Because like when, when this first happened, I, um, I'm not usually one who likes to post anything political per se. But I just kind of made a, a kind of a slant, slack, uh, kind of a somewhat rant, you know, thing about, I'm like, we people, we guys we need to stop being politicized. We need to stop looking at things like whose fault is it, whatever. We need to come together and we need to figure out how to not only just try to stop this, this, this virus, but also, like you said, what's going on? What are we doing wrong with our planet that causing all these things to happen, you know? Yeah, now's the time. Yeah, so hopefully people, it's a wake-up call, hopefully, because right now people are a little, um, you know, kind of uh, inconvenienced, but like you said, when there's not enough oxygen or not enough uh, land to, to, for, to sustain you know, our agriculture, the, ag or the land is so destroyed, you can't cure that. Exactly. Yeah. Once it's gone, it's gone. Yeah. So um, I know you have a lot of things going on. Now, with the releases, are you doing like a big, I mean, obviously now there's no book tour or anything like that because of, of right, right now there's uncertainty, but how do you usually, like when you release a book, how does that usually go in the process of like is there like a big release is there like do you do like try to do some book signings before coronavirus um i, I wasn't doing book sign I, I i did some events so it wasn't much into doing book signings um the main thing i try to do is everything is is digital these days so mm -hmm. everything's online and pot i do podcasts of course um i like i need to get reviews for my books that's very important in fact um one of the the offers I'll make to your audience right now is a free download of the Bomb Squad. So if they send me their email to neilperrygordon at gmail.com, mm -hmm. I'll send them a copy of the book like I sent it to you. And uh, all I ask is read the book. Hopefully you'll like it. And hopefully you'll give me five stars and put it on Amazon. So uh, it works. So you, the readers, your, your audience will get a, a free copy of my book and I can get, hopefully I'll get some reviews out of it, which will be helpful. And then my next question for you then is where are we able to get all your books? Is it just at Amazon or do you have it at Barnes and Noble? Or, uh, where exactly can we get you? Well, I would direct everybody to Amazon because that's mm -hmm. the complete collection there. So yeah. you can get, I have eBooks and paperback books there of all my books. I have audio books of my first two of Cobbler's Tale and Moonflower but I have Bomb Squad and Righteous One being recorded now on audiobooks. So in a couple of weeks, I'll have all four of my books in all formats. And then in the future books, everything, when I first put a, bring a book out, it automatically comes out in ebook and paperback. And then it takes a little while to get it out in audiobook. Um, but I, it eventually gets done. I need to get a, a hard copy. I have a digital copy and I'm enjoying it, but I, I'm one of those old fashioned people. I like to have my book, <laughs> you know, I, I, I keep them. I've got, I got like stacks of books and, <laughs> and so, um, and I share them. And that's what I like about it too. It's like, I'm like, sometimes when somebody's like, Oh, I'm looking for a good book. I'm like, Oh, here, 
you've got to read this one. This is so amazing. So I'm a, I gotta get, I'm going to, I'm going to get a, a hard copy for myself as well. Oh, good. And you'll have to sign it. I'll sign it for you. I, I would really be honored because that's something that's, like I said, books are a chair. They're like a gift. And that's why I thank you because it is a gift, you know, and it's, it's an escape. It's an opportunity to use your imagination. It's just, it's an opportunity to just, I don't know, just get some stress out of your life by reading something. So I encourage people, if you want to go into a, a place where it is, this is my dog's tail. You can see it. The <laughs> That's my cat's tail. Sorry. That was my dog. Um, but you can get involved in this book. It's like, it's just like you get absorbed into this book and I loved it. So thank, thank you. you. <laughs> thank you. Appreciate that. So again, we were talking to Neil Perry Gordon, who is an amazing author and humanitarian. And I know you have, I'm, I'm going to interview, I'm, I'm giving everybody a preview. I'm going to be interviewing your son. So, uh, Max in a couple of days and, uh, I love what he's doing. You want to just kind of give a little snippet of what, like a little yeah. sneak preview. He's, he's a unique individual, Max for now years, he's been on this path. So he, he calls himself a rewilder. So he has rewilded himself. He has rebooted himself to nature. So he is very much in tune with the natural environment. He, he lives and works on a, a biodynamic farm in, in Vermont. He is into plant medicine. He's into foraging for food. He uh, learned primitive skills, primitive skills, you know, to having to survive in the wilderness. He's gone to school for that. He has a degree from the um, SUNY ESF, the Environmental School of Forestry, uh, in environmental sciences and indigenous studies. So he is full on board. Uh, he, they just butchered a cow. They you know, two days ago. He called me up. Dad, we we just killed a cow and butchered it. I was like, what? So he's just telling me the story how they had to shoot the cow and then they butchered the cow and then they skinned the hide. And he's skinning the hide and you know we all go to the grocery store and we go buy our meat and we have no idea what it takes to get that meat. So uh, he, he's doing it, you know, so he's, he is uh, the real thing. He's very authentic. Um, he's very honest. He's a, he's a wonderful person. People love relating to him and I'm happy he's up there in a good place. So I'm excited to, for him to be on your show. I am too. I, I'm looking forward to it. Like I said, I've already sent actually, cause he sent me um, some information and I already sent it off to my one son who is actually, he's studying to be doing beekeeping. Um, with they, a, have bee, with a, they have beekeeping where he's where at his farm. Yeah. So I saw that. And then, um, so he's been wanting to learn how to do that. So he's been uh, doing, uh, he's been under the tutelage of a, a lady who's got a little farm and he's, she's trying to help him start up his own. So every chance he gets, he goes, this would be a great place to start a beehive mom. <laughs> so yeah. He said, no, I'm really excited for, for what you're doing. And, and obviously, you know, you, have that opportunity to your son is using his imagination and what he's his strengths to better the world so thank you very much for the the gordon family you know as he said the dynamic duo i get <laughs> yeah exactly sounds good yeah. Well, you've been listening to One Non Blonde. And again, please check out Neil Perry Gordon on Amazon.com. And um, also, if you send him your email, he will, and I'll, I'll put that in the show notes, um, you will be able to get a 
free download of the bomb squad, which I highly, highly, highly recommend and give it a five stars. Plus if you can go beyond five, you can go plus, plus, plus. Uh, <laughs> do it for him. Cause it's really great. And you continue writing for us, please, Neil. I am. As soon as I get off this, I'm going to stop that, go back to my writing. Well, as soon as I get off this, I'm going to go finish that book. It's like about 45 pages. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you and have a good day. Bye.